0: This is the Soul Power Podcast with your hosts, Angela Jordan and Cheryl Burke. This is the Soul Power Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Jordan. And I'm your host, Cheryl Burke. Thanks for joining us today. On today's show, we have the wonderful Amy Waninger. Is it a soft G or as a hard G? It's
1: a hard G. You got it right. It's like you'll be wanting her to come back.
0: Yes. That is the best way. I love when you say that. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's brilliant, Amy. (laughs) Amy is a solopreneur, a woman solopreneur, just like us. She has two companies lead at any level. And a page beyond. A page beyond is book publishing. And I will let her tell you about lead at any level.
1: Amy, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and to see my friends again. I know. We've been so excited for you to come on. It's like, oh yay, it's Amy. We get to catch up. Why don't
0: you start by telling us a little bit about where you came from? And by that, I mean your origin story,
1: Marvel style. All (laughs) right. So I'm going to go all the way back to my childhood because it helps me to frame all of the stuff that came next. I grew up in rural Southern Indiana in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And when I was growing up, my parents told me, you know, you go to elementary school, you go to high school, and then you go to college. I thought college was required. I thought everybody went
2: mm-hmm. because
1: I knew I had to go and so somewhere along the way I, I asked a guidance counselor someone like in middle school what do you do when you go to college and they handed me a list of college majors and from Purdue University and I they said, you pick a major and that's, you study that and then you get a job. And I said, okay, great. So I went home and I'm looking at this list of college majors. I'm sitting at my kitchen table, you know, doing my homework. And I'm looking at this list of college majors and I'm trying to match them up to people I know. Now, I don't know how many of your listeners are from super small towns, but this thing happens when people go to college, they fall off the edge of the earth. They they never come back home. <laughs> so <laughs> even though in my mind, I thought everyone went to college. The fact was, I really didn't know people who had gone to college. Mm-hmm. I knew my teachers and I knew my doctors. And then I was just kind of like winging it, right? So as I'm looking at this list of college majors, I see finance and I thought, oh, those must that must be what bank tellers major in. And I saw business and I'm thinking, well, the receptionist at the doctor's office must must've majored in business because they use a, a computer and um engineering oh that's the guy that drives the train that goes past grandma's house right and i'm not like six when i'm trying to put all this together i was like 14 um so i this environment that i was in was just not conducive to me figuring this out on my own and my my parents for for their part my dad came home he's a huge iu fan and uh for those of you who don't live in Indiana. Uh, let's just say there's a huge rivalry between IU and Purdue. My dad comes in, he looks over my shoulder. He's all you know, sweaty and greasy from work. He looks over my shoulder and his contribution to this conversation was, you're not going to Purdue. And then he walked <laughs> off. So I was like really left with very little guidance in this department, right? So then I go to college and instead of picking a major, Um, I had figured out by this point that I didn't actually know people that went to college. The only people I knew who had gone to college were teachers, doctors, and lawyers. So I, um, decided I would be, I didn't want to be a teacher. So I would be pre-med. And then my sophomore year, I could not pass organic chemistry to save my life. And so then I decided that left me with pre-law. So I started taking classes that I thought, might be related to that. I took criminal justice classes um, and I started taking just classes I was interested in. Sociology, I took some African-American history classes, African-American lit classes, and pretty soon I ended up with degree with a major in criminal justice and a major in African-American studies and minors in sociology and Spanish because that's just kind of how my credits shook out when it was all said and (laughs) done. Uh, somewhere along the way in, in the history classes I was taking, I had read about the ACLU and I thought, Oh, that would be really cool. So my senior year of college, I started to sit down to take the LSAT and I thought, you know, I probably had to figure out how much law school is going to cost. And I looked that up and a law degree at IU is pretty expensive. And then I found out what pro bono meant.
2: <laughs>
1: and I said, I can't do this. This is for people who are born into money this is not for me. Mm -hmm. So I graduated. Um, I was very, very overqualified for my job selling CDs at the mall. Um, (laughs) If you're under 40, ask your parents, they'll tell you what that means. And um, I, you know, dead end job to dead end job. And I finally, somebody said, you ought to go back to school for computer science. This was, you know, late nineties. And I said, I hate computers. I don't even like using the copy machine. Why on earth would I do that? And they said, well, Uh, there's this thing called the Y2K bug and companies are paying really good money for people with computer science degrees. And I said, I love computers. Where do I sign up? So I took a 20 year detour with my computer science degree in the IT world. And the last 12 of those years were in the insurance industry. All of that to say, uh, while I was working in the insurance industry, the company I was working for hired a chief diversity officer. And I read the position description and the press release and everything that came out of that office. And I said, hold up, there's a paycheck in that now because mm-hmm. once companies care about something, it's sustainable, right? Yeah. There's, there's a paycheck. And I said, okay, well, how do I get there from here? And the answer was you really can't, um, or at least I really couldn't uh, because of where I was situated and kind of my work history and all of that. So um I just kind of showed up for everything um, in my mind to help. I realize now I was probably helping in the same way my kids help me when I bake a cake. Um, but you know, I, my heart was in the right place. I was trying to do, you know, trying to do the right thing. Um, but the question I kept asking was, okay, I'm one person. I have a department and maybe 30 people that report to me. What can I do to make a difference? And I wasn't getting an answer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so then I started going to some industry conferences. And I kept showing up with my notes and saying, okay, I I understand there's a problem with sexism, with racism, with, you know, homophobia, with, you know, all of anti-immigrant, you know, sentiment, all of this, right? How can I help? What can I do? And I never could get a good answer. And so I decided, um, being naive as I was, um, I would pitch the conference organizer to this conference that I went to and say, hey, what if next year, instead of talking about the problem, I come in and talk about some things that we could do about it. And a novel idea, what a novel idea. And I didn't expect them to say yes. And they did. And I don't know if this is a PG uh, podcast, but I said an expletive. And uh, now I got to figure out what I'm going to say. I knew what I wanted to talk about. Knowing what you want to talk about is one thing. Knowing what you're going to say about it is a totally different yeah. problem. Mm-hmm. And so um, my two drivers were, I had to get people in the room because I knew it was going to be a breakout with like five other breakout sessions going on. Uh, And it had to appeal to people very broadly in the insurance industry from call center folks all the way up to executives. And so my strategy was focus on careers because people in the insurance industry really care about their careers. So how can we incorporate diversity and inclusion solutions? into what people care about, which is career longevity and Mm. mobility. And I came up with this concept called a champ network. And it's, who do you need in your network? Who's missing from your network? And what are you going to do about it? And when I took my own assessment, I was mortified because my whole network looked just like me. Oh, wow. And I realized I was not doing what I thought I was doing, what I saw on paper and what I. thought you know and what i saw in the mirror did not match hmm. and i realized i've got to change and i can't you know the only way to change what i'm seeing in the mirror is change what i'm doing on this sheet of paper and so i changed everything i changed where i went to lunch and who i sat with and who i invited to coffee and who i asked to mentor me and who i showed up to mentor and basically everything everything i had control over in my workday i changed and my entire world changed wow And wouldn't you know, the conference got canceled and I was sitting on the floor. This is why I laugh when you say origin story, because I remember very distinctly (laughs) sitting on the floor crying because I had this message that I really wanted to share. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just about being on a stage and and talking to people. This was important stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting on the floor in a lump, just sobbing. And I remember thinking, this is the part of the movie where I get back up. And the triumphant music plays and I figure out a way to make it work. And so I remember sitting there and I literally Googled, how do I speak at conferences? And I found some answer to that question and just started doing it. And the next year I spoke at 35 conferences. Oh, wow. And the next year I spoke at 45 and I had to quit my job because I ran out of days off. And so that's kind of how this became. So I wrote, released a book in 2018 called Network Beyond Bias, which is all about all of this. And that became a business. And now... um my business is that I offer assessment, advisory, and training services, primarily to organizations that promote from within. And um, the idea is, you know, if you're promoting technical people, they don't always have the people skills they need to lead diverse teams. So let's transform the reclusive nerds into inclusive leaders (laughs) so companies can keep their employees and keep them engaged.
0: I love it. And I remember when you first started using that terminology, the reclusive nerds. I'm like, oh, that is brilliant. That is so brilliant because it's so it's so relatable. Someone knows
1: exactly what you're talking about when you say that. Everybody knows a reclusive nerd that got promoted. <laughs> At and least a lot one. of them worked for them. True story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um a hilarious and often disastrous effect. So <laughs>
3: <laughs> you mentioned your uh champ assessment, which I have taken. <laughs> I was also horrified. Um can you are you willing to explain a little bit more about that? Because it really is eye-opening and life-changing.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, really. And it's funny, there are a handful of people who every time I see them, they will say, that postcard changed my life. That Starbucks napkin changed my life. Um, it's a really simple assessment. I'll give you part of it now. It's a little hard to do just in audio. You kind of need a visual for most of it. But the um, the way this CHAMP assessment works is there are five critical connections you need for your career or in this case, your business as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur. CHAMP is an acronym because every speaker has to have an acronym. That's our job is to have acronyms. And so CHAMP is, um, each, each of the letters in CHAMP stands for a kind of person that you need. You may have dozens in a category, you may have zero in a category. So let me explain how this works. The C is for your customer. Customer is somebody that may or may not exchange money for the goods and services your organization provides, your company provides. And we need to know our customers because we need to know what's going on in the marketplace so that we know what we're doing. Um, this is something that gets lost in big companies, by the way. So as you build your business, don't lose sight of your customers
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and don't let your employees lose sight of your customers, because most organizations, if company, if an employee is not customer facing, they don't even know the name of a customer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, much less what the customer wants or what they're thinking. Um, so that's the C the H is for someone you've hired or helped get a job. Now, not all of us are in the business of hiring right now. I get that. But there are tons of folks. If you go to LinkedIn, you see tons of folks that are looking for work. You see tons of of managers that are posting open positions. Pay attention. Because if you can match two of those people up, you've just created a best friend for life. Hmm. Most of us want really high value networks. And the way we do that is to be of value to our networks. Mm. And so that's a good place to start. I was going to call this refer or recommend, but nobody wants to network like a cramp. So we won't (laughs) hire or help. (laughs) I love that. right.
3: You don't want to, that's true. You don't want to network like a cramp, (laughs) but like a champ is
1: definitely helpful. That's brilliant. Yes. See, and the acronym matters. You can't just pick any old acronym. It's right. going to be a good one. Right. So the A is for an associate or what I like to call your work bestie. This is the person, you know, even if you're a solopreneur, right? You've got somebody that you've got on speed dial when you're having a bad day, especially as a solopreneur to just say, okay, tell me not to quit. That's your <laughs> ch- That's your associate, right? That's your, your peer buddy, Um And I've got a few of those. And I've got a couple people that when I can see from whatever they're posting on social media, they're having a bad day, I will call them and I will say, okay, I need 30 seconds of your time. We're going to breathe. And then we'll breathe in for four, hold for four, out for four, in for four, hold for four, out for four. And i say, okay, have a great day. (laughs) And that's it. That's the call. (laughs) But sometimes you need that person to just keep going so that you don't get all stabby. Um, and then the- stabby <laughs> you don't ever get stabby, Angela. Oh, I get stabby. Oh yeah. oh yeah. I just have never heard it put like that. I love it. Yeah. Not not people. We don't want to condone violence here, but I'm thinking like pincushion kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. stabby. Um and then the M is for your mentor. Uh some of us have a formal mentor through, you know, a score program or something like that, but a lot of us, it's just somebody that we look up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody that we know. And in some cases, it's somebody we don't know. We just religiously follow everything that Gary V puts online. And so that becomes our mentor. And so we just want to be very conscious of having a mentor, number one, but then who is that mentor? Where are we getting the information that that we're seeking? And then finally, P is for your protege. Who are you bringing up behind you? Who are you investing your time and energy in? And so when you put all of those components together, you have a really good 360 degree view Mm -hmm. of you, your career, your business, you know, your organization, if you're employed somewhere, the marketplace, you know, the economy as a whole. And then the other dimension uh, that's a little harder to do in an audio version is uh, what perspectives does your network ignore? And that's where we look at different dimensions of diversity uh, to see who's missing. So a lot of people are really confident in the first step of this Yes, I've got all five champ spots filled multiple times, several layers deep. But then when we talk about breadth of your network, things get a little a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? People, people don't always like what they see. Let's put right. it that way when we get to that part. And so, and it starts with the I and ignore stands for industry, just as a little teaser. Are you talking to people outside of your own industry? And a lot of us, especially, you know, if we've been in the same industry for a while, do not.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that that creates really, um, you know, tunnel vision for us in terms of what we're trying to accomplish and who we're trying to to reach. I have never
0: taken the CHAMP assessment.
2: How is that even possible, Angela? I don't know. Definitely
0: do. I don't know, but I am clearly going to have to take it. I too am a little scared of what it might look like, but I would be willing to do it
1: for sure. So. Angela, I'm pretty sure that you've got a copy of my book, Network Beyond Bias. I do. Yes. So what you're going to do is go to chapter 32, which is on page 189. You can skip the whole book and just start there. All right.
0: I'm getting it out. I'm going to do it this afternoon. All right. Take a picture
1: of it and send it to me. I will.
0: I will. I'll send it to both of you, actually.
1: Unless I'm horrified by it, but no, especially if you're horrified by it, because the thing (laughs) is, so here's the deal with the champ assessment, everything you see on that paper, you have the power to change. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing that I'm showing anybody that they can't do something about. That's what I love about it is when people say, well, what can I do? Well, all opportunity flows through our networks. So if you want to change the flow of opportunity, change the composition of your Mm -hmm. network. And that's true no matter what job you have, no matter what kind of company you run, uh, no matter where you live, no matter what, you know, no matter who you are.
3: People naturally fall into a comfort zone and a comfort zone is basically doing what you've always done, being with the people you've always been with. And for folks who come from smaller places, um, it's really easy to not realize how how big and beautiful the world is. Um, and so... Really, it's just a matter of getting out of the comfort zone, mm-hmm. which a solopreneur has to do every day. So this is a muscle that our solopreneur listeners are already working, and this is just a different way to work it. If you if you take the CHAMP assessment and realize, oh, no, this doesn't look the way that I want it to, mm-hmm. because I know there's there's so much more out in the world, um, and I value all of it, and I I want this as a part of my daily life, you can do it a lot to change what your assessment looks like in fairly short order.
0: So it sounds like it's more intentional than just acquiring these relationships during the course of your job or your business. It's setting an intent to have a breadth of people in your life, basically, to help you, to champion you, for you to pass on um, your legacy to. So it makes complete sense to me that if you're not being intentional about it, then I can see how those spots just fill up with people, you know, and people you have known your whole life. Um, But I like the intention behind it. Okay. You know what? If I want diversity and breadth in, my life and my business, then I'm going to have to do this. I am going to have to be very deliberate about who I want in that circle. And I like that. I really like that because I think a lot of us do just kind of fall into that pattern of whoever's around us, whoever we like, whoever we've worked with in the past. And I like that what you're doing is challenging people to be a little bit more intentional about who you have in your circle and making sure that it, it, it does have that breadth. What do you find Amy comes with that change? You know, you said it was life-changing when you made that, when you made that change, how does that happen?
1: Well, you know, there's, so there's a lot behind this, a lot of psychology behind this, a lot of sociology behind this, um, and a lot of neuroscience behind it. So I won't get into all of that, but I will say when we tend to gravitate toward people, it's the people who look the most like us, who Mm -hmm. think the most like us, who dress like us, who eat like us, right? If you walk into a room of a thousand strangers, you are going to naturally, if you're not being intentional, you're going to naturally gravitate toward the five that look just like you or dress like you, have the same shirt, have the same, right? That's just how we are as people. That's kind of Mm -hmm. just anthropologically, right? That's what we do. And so that also creates this notion of in groups and out groups. Mm. And when we see people as like us, we give them the benefit of the doubt. We we give them a lot of latitude. We assume really good things to fill in the gaps of all the things that we don't know about them. Mm in our in-group right and this is this is true whether we're talking about you know ethnic groups racial groups religious groups even sports teams there have been studies that say that if you're walking out of a stadium and and you're wearing the same jersey as somebody else and you need help they'll help you but if you're wearing the opposite team's jersey they are less likely to help you like this is how ingrained in us it is we don't even realize we're doing it and so what happens is when you're intentional, and it's not Pokemon, you don't just go collect them all, right? <laughs> right? We're not in the business of tokenizing people. What we want to do is build build deep relationships broadly and deep in our communities, whatever, however we define community. And so when we do that, what happens is we start to change who we see as in-group for us. And it causes us to notice things from those people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. And it causes us to think differently and it causes us to evaluate differently, to analyze differently, to assess, to make different decisions. And we start to see things we never saw before. And so I'll give you an example. If you've ever had to use a wheelchair, let's say normally you are on your own mobile without use of any kind of a mobility device. But let's say for a week, you've had a surgery and you have to, you know, you're using a wheelchair for that week while you recover. You are going to notice where the curb cuts are. You're going to know where the uneven sidewalks are. You're going to notice how inaccessible a building is, Mm -hmm. how hard it is to get over a threshold. How many places have stairs and no elevators, right? You will notice that all of a sudden. Well, the same is true if you have a loved one that you're with who is in a wheelchair. The mm-hmm. same is true if you have a good friend that you meet occasionally who is in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. The same is true, right? So it's all about just seeing the world from somebody else's perspective, but it happens very naturally because you're engaged with them and you care about them. Yeah. I'm
0: just going
2: to let that sit for a minute. <laughs> I just I just like what you just said. What
0: issue do you see most right now in corporations that you work with? Oh boy,
1: <laughs> just one? Yeah. Oh, well, it can be it can be multiple. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about some re- recent research I did. Um, okay. So there's this notion, and I'm sure you have heard this. Uh, it is the most commonly used phrase, I think, in our vernacular right now. Um, As we look at things like, you know, the economy, right? We see, oh, well, you can almost, you can almost say it with me. People just don't want to work anymore, (laughs) right? Nobody wants to work anymore. Okay. First of all, we've been saying that for hundreds of years Mm -hmm. as a society. This is not a new phrase. That phrase goes back, you know, decades, if not centuries. But here's the thing we're in a labor crisis and we are in a, what is going to be a sustained labor crisis. And the reason for that is <laughs> we do not have enough people to do all the jobs that there are to do. Mm-hmm. And it's not because people don't want to work. It's because we've lost a lot of people out of our economy. Mm-hmm. And I did a, a research paper recently on, um, the labor crisis. It's available on my website, lead at any it's called surviving the labor crisis. And it's, It sets up, where did all these people go? We were 5 million workers short last year. Where did they go? Well, not to, you know, spoil the ending, but, you know, the boomers, some of them have finally retired after 20 years of saying they were going to, (laughs) you know, COVID finally was kind of the last straw. We lost a million people to COVID in this country alone, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, roughly a quarter to a half of which were in the workforce before they got sick. Um, we've lost another six to eight million to long COVID and disability. Mm. So they're not working or they're working less than they were. We lost two million immigrants in 2020 because of the pandemic, working immigrants, right? People who come here for the purpose of getting a job. Mm. Um, not I'm not talking about refugees who are fleeing violence or I'm talking about actual work visas, mm-hmm. two million fewer than the year before. And that trend continued in 2021. So that's four million. So we really have lost a lot of people out of our economy mm-hmm. and there just aren't enough 17-year-olds to replace them next mm-hmm. year, right? So it's not that nobody wants to work, it's that we're just really short some people. And what that means is companies tend to put a lot of money into recruiting and much less focus on actually retaining, training, retraining, and you know appreciating the people that they've got Yeah, which results in turnover that is now becoming exponentially more expensive than it was five years ago, because you can't find anybody to replace that person that just left. Mm -hmm. We need to change this corporate mentality away from we'll recruit our way out of a bad culture into we're going to love on people so much they don't want to leave. But for some reason, that's a much harder business case for executives to get their heads around
0: you know that's interesting because um i i noticed that you know in the last well in the last 3 years i previously did career coaching i was a career coach during the great resignation um when you know people left their jobs in droves and people were let go of their jobs in droves as well um and the money that employers pay to hire and rehire and rehire and rehire could be put into the people who are already working for you and keeping them and, you know, keeping them happy and keeping that relationship with those people. So they want to stay.
1: Yeah, that's, that's always been sort of perplexing to me. Yeah. And underrepresented talent, um, black and brown professionals, women, uh, people with disabilities, people from the LGBTQ community, those people are twice as likely to leave as their straight, cis white male counterparts. Mm. Um, and the reason is it's hard to look up and see no one who looks like you Mm -hmm. and expect that you are going to be nurtured, groomed, promoted, rewarded, appreciated on your way up the ladder throughout your career. So those folks are twice as likely to leave. They're also less likely to have strong connections in the workplace, mm-hmm. depending on the industry and depending on the location. So it's really important that companies get this right because not only do we have a shortage of workers, the composition of our workforce is changing
2: yeah.
1: in terms of those demographics, right? More women are are in the workforce than ever before. Uh, you know, the percentage of the population that is black and brown is higher than it's ever been in the United States. Um I heard the other day that as many as one in 4 or one in 5 Gen Z Gen Z people, I guess I want to call them kids cuz my kids are Gen Z, but <laughs> you know Gen Z folks, one in 4 to one in 5 identify as LGBTQ in some way. Wow. And so, you know, if if companies are not thinking about this in terms of longevity, right in terms of Who's going to be our leadership in 10, 15, 20 years and start actually systematizing the retention around that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: They're going to struggle. And this is an existential threat for a lot of companies and even some industries. I sound like I'm catastrophizing, but there are a couple of industries that I'm really worried about. Really? Um, Yeah, because we really need those industries for our economy to survive. And if they can't attract workers in or keep them once they get there, it's it's going to cause some ripple effects. I don't, I don't think we're prepared for. Are you um, willing to name some of those areas? Well, the insurance industry is one of mm. them. I worked in insurance for over a decade. Uh, people that don't work in insurance or don't pay much attention probably don't understand how important insurance is to <laughs> the economy, but insurance makes all economic investment possible. And despite the reputation of the industry, you know, insurance really is there for you on your worst day and I'm talking property and casualty insurance specifically, without that, we don't have freight. We don't have cargo. We don't have business. We don't have uh, buildings. We don't have homes. We don't have cars. There's just, you know, and there's there's a cliff. I mean, the average age in the insurance industry is I think upper 50s now. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's it scares me a little. It, it would be like if somebody said, you know, banking is going to go away in 10 years. Well, what would we do without any form of banking and mm-hmm. insurance is, is exactly that vital to the economy because without insurance, there's no banking either, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely true. Yeah. I, uh, Cheryl and I have both worked for insurance companies. Um, granted mine was my very first job out of college, but yeah, I got a very big glimpse at, uh, the insurance industry and what it does. um I've actually sort of change of topic been worried, <laughs> not worried necessarily, but thinking about the whole um fact that cars in 20 years will pretty much drive themselves. and uh, or you know, I don't know exactly what the year is, but we're getting very we're getting closer and closer to that point. And so if cars aren't, if people aren't driving the cars now and the cars are driving themselves, will there still be accidents? Will there still be a need for auto insurance? Like these are the things I think about on a daily basis and you know, what will happen? Will you know, an insurance company step up and say, oh no, you know, we've, we've got to change things or. You know, will will they continue on like they are? I don't know.
1: Well, at that point, and I know this is off topic, but at that point, it'll probably become products liability insurance. Mm-hmm. So just like you don't have to be insured to own a stroller, right? If the stroller malfunctions and kills your baby, please do not include this in the recording, but if the stroller <laughs> malfunction that kills your baby, right, that's a product problem and the company mm-hmm. is liable. Mm-hmm. And I think cars will get to the same point eventually, but you still got to have an insurance industry yeah. to pay those liability claims. Mm-hmm. So it just, it'll just transmute into something else or transform into something else. But anyway, I Interesting.
3: Decorate. Interesting you made a great case for why somebody in like a bigger industry or a bigger company would need a diverse network. At one point you mentioned to me personally, actually, that if everybody you know is in your industry and everybody gets laid off, then yeah. you have no connections outside your industry to get another job.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So that, that makes perfect sense to me. Can you talk a little bit more about why having um, a a broad and deep network is important for a solopreneur
1: specifically. It is especially important for a solopreneur. And let me tell you why, as one myself. (laughs) Just yesterday, I needed to know email marketing, technology, (laughs) social media marketing. I needed to be able to write a blog. I had to use AI for something. I had I mean, you think about all the stuff you do on a daily basis. Oh yeah, it is a lot. Oh, and by the way, you better know what you actually do, what your expertise is in, and you've got to keep up on that. And you've got to do all of your sales, because then nobody's going to sell anything for you. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear about that. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're you're your salesperson, right? Then you've got to do if you don't have an account, you got to do your own accounting, and you've got to do your own taxes. And you, I mean, my God, we don't have time to do all of this. Mm-hmm. And so here's the beautiful thing. There's this, there's this glorious number that every entrepreneur should know. Can you guess what it is? Mm -hmm. A number Mm -hmm.
3: 1099. Ah, Oh, yes.
1: 1099. (laughs) These are the, these are the things you don't (laughs) want to do. And you hire them out and you give them to people who are brilliant at those things. Let me tell you why this is important though. And where diversity comes in. You may have heard that big companies have supplier diversity programs. You can have a supplier diversity program, even as a solopreneur. And here's how you do it. You write down every single thing that you don't want to do in your business. For me, the very first thing I did not want to do was bookkeeping and accounting (laughs) because I love numbers. I've got a math minor in my second degree, but when you put a dollar sign in front of a number, it becomes a panic attack for me.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I hate it. I hate dealing with the accounting part. So the very first thing I did was I needed to find an accountant. So I was intentional about going out to my network and finding an accountant that was certified as a diverse owned business. And the reason I did that is because I know that of the 98% of businesses that are funded by venture capital that are owned by white men, They're calling on all their buddies. Yeah. To do all this work for them. And they're investing their money in people that look just like them. And I want to do something different. Hmm. So I made sure that when I hired an accountant, I hired somebody that didn't look like me. Um, My accountant is certified as an LGBTQ owned business. I am also certified as an LGBTQ owned business, by the way. Um, and then I had, um, the very next thing I wanted to do was I wanted to hire somebody to help me with, uh, social media. I hired a woman owned business for social media marketing. Um, they've since transitioned. They're doing some different work for me now in terms of lead generation and helping me, um, with my podcast, like get guests for my podcast. Uh, I use, I, I made a list of like everybody that I use in my business. When I get bigger contracts, who do I subcontract out to? I subcontract out to a very diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I want to make sure that opportunity is spread around. There is more enough for more than enough for all yes. of us,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we need each other. And I'm not an expert in everything. I do a lot of diversity training, but I can't. I can't do. You know, I don't have expertise, for example, in disability inclusion and access. You know, accessibility. I don't have firsthand lived experience. In being Black or in being a trans person or, you know, in having a disability. I don't do anti racism training because that's not what I specialize in. Mm -hmm. I specialize in the leadership and the networking piece. So I can call on other people who can fill in those gaps. And then we can build almost an ecosystem of people who are supporting each other and helping each other, just like you all are doing. Yeah. Right. But when we do that, when we do that broadly and when we're intentional about who we include, now we're not shutting people out. We're bringing mm-hmm. people in and we're creating an economy that's going to work for everybody, not just an economy that's going to work for people look like us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Have you experienced any um, pushback from an organization or from people who just don't want to make the change,
1: just can't make the change right now? Yeah, I mean, so let's, let's be clear about the work that I do. It's not something that everybody wants to be a part of. Um, Unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of people who are really happy with the way things are going for them. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the cases that I make in the Surviving the Labor Crisis ebook is, you know, one of the the adages that you will hear from coaches and consultants, and you all have probably said this to your clients, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you always mm -hmm. got. (laughs) <laughs> but that's not true because the whole world has changed. So if you do what you've always done, you're in for a rude awakening mm. because the results will not be the same in a new context. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. And I try to impress this upon, upon people. The way we used to get business, right? We used to advertise in the yellow pages and wait for the phone to ring. <laughs> that was marketing
0: yeah, 50 mm-hmm.
1: years ago, right? And if you wanted to hire what did you do? You put an ad in the paper. There was a one ad section in the paper. Young people don't even know that this exists. They don't even know what a newspaper the yellow pages are, right? But you used to put an ad in the yellow pages, and then you put a one ad in the newspaper, and then you'd wait for the things to come in. And somebody would like walk up with a resume and hand it to you, right? Or they'd call you on on a landline phone. That is not the world Mm -hmm. anymore. (laughs) So if you're still advertising by putting an ad in the yellow pages, nobody going to see that. No, Mm -mm. If you're still trying to hire people by putting an ad in the paper, nobody's going to see that. Every single thing about our businesses has changed. The way we work, who we sell to, what we sell, how we deliver, what we sell, how we advertise, what we sell, who we advertise to. Mm -hmm. Everything has changed except the way we lead. If you do what you've always done, mm-hmm. you are in for a rude awakening because that is not going to work anymore. Yeah. And so that's what I try to impress upon leaders of organizations and companies. Now, some people say, I'm too old. I'm close to retirement. I don't want to Well, then get on out and get yeah. room for somebody who's ready to prepare for the future because you're not doing your company any favors if you dig in your heels on this. It's just not the way the world is anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, individually, you know, I have people ask me, well, you know, what do you say to, you know, if like you're in a room full of white supremacists. I'm like, I say goodbye because I am not the (laughs) asshole whisperer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, that's not a safe (laughs) environment for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So no, but I, I figure in any group of a hundred people, you've probably got five people who are going to do everything they can think of. To make things good for other people, mm-hmm. no matter who those people are, and go out of their way to to fight any injustice they see. You probably got five people who are making it really hard for those other five because they're digging in their heels and you know flying their you know little hate flags at home. But there's <laughs> 90 people in the middle that don't see a problem. But if they saw it, yeah, it might change. Yeah. And I'm here for the 90 that would if they could see it, if they could just see that this is a problem. And this hurts someone that they care about. Mm -hmm. They would make a change. That's who I want to talk to. Mm -hmm. And that's most of us. Most of us, if we had a a light switch in our house and every time we flicked it, nothing happened and we kind of flipped it a few times, right? We probably forget it was even there. (laughs) But if we found out the second time we flipped that, that somebody was being hurt across town every time we flipped that light switch, we'd probably rip it out of the wall so we wouldn't hurt anybody again well there's all kinds of things we're doing every day that we don't realize because to us it's just as natural as flipping a light switch Mm -hmm. but it's hurting someone so if we can just point out that when you do that it hurts somebody stop doing it most people will stop Mm -hmm. most people will rethink whether or not they really need to you know to push that button yeah yeah so I believe in people. So, you know, yeah. I do too. <laughs> yeah.
0: I do too. Sometimes to my detriment, sometimes people disappoint me. But for the most part, I think given the chance, people will do the right thing if they mm-hmm. have the information at hand and the opportunity to do it. Um, maybe that's naive, but that's how I choose to look at the world. I'd rather be naive than ha- and happy <sighs> than cynical. Exactly. I have been that cynical person before and it's, it just, it gets you nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere. It's no fun. And it makes you miserable and everywhere, everyone else around you. Mm -hmm. Amy, do you have anything that you would like to offer, especially
1: for women, solopreneurs or, uh, someone in our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but the book that I wrote in 2018, Network Beyond Bias, I went out in search of a publisher for that book, not again, not knowing how the world worked. And what I found was that there were a lot of reputable hybrid publishers that were really good, uh, but crazy expensive, Hmm. tens of thousands of dollars. And I was not about to, I just didn't have it. right. And then I started looking at some other options and I found some folks that were a little more affordable, not a lot, a little more affordable, but I suspected that they were dishonest. And when I looked them up, it appeared that some people had been um, misled by their promises. Mm. And so someone gave me a gift of telling me, you know, you could just publish it yourself. And I did. And it was, I didn't do everything right the first time. I didn't do everything right the second time. By the fourth or fifth time, I kind of got it right. Um, But once I realized that I could publish books, uh, I started publishing them for myself. I started publishing them for other people. And a lot of solopreneurs use books as kind of a calling card, right? A leave behind a mm-hmm. promo. Um, it's a great way to establish your authority in a space. If you are a solopreneur and you've not written a book, um, you really want to consider that it's never been easier. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be a, you know, your life's, Opus, right? Your magnum opus. It can be something as simple as a journal or a guide or a, a, you know, just a small book. Um, But I have a course to help people understand how to hire a publisher and what they need to ask so that they don't get into a situation where they are being um, taken advantage of. And they can find that course at publishingexposed.com. And um, it's just, it's a one hour online course that walks you through. You know, what does self-publishing, hybrid publishing, traditional publishing look like? Uh, When to consider self-publishing as an option? And uh, what questions to ask before you hire anyone uh, to even begin to touch your manuscript?
0: All right. That's fantastic. You bet. Um, I did some self-publishing, but I have known authors who have, you know, gotten an agent and gone the traditional route with a publishing house. and that's hard. That's really hard to do, and if it's expensive
1: on top of it, ooh. it's hard. And what a lot of people don't realize is when you use a traditional publisher, you're actually selling them your work, so you don't own that anymore. Hmm. Um, now, if you're, you know, if you're Stephen King, you're getting royalties off the books, and you're getting royalties off the movies, and you're getting royalties off all the stuff, right? Um, but if your business is built, if the book is about your business, and you want to teach or coach based on what's in the book. And you sell the rights to that to someone else. Now you've got to go ask permission to use your own work, and a lot of people don't realize that. So for most of us in this kind of work, self-publishing is our is our best option. Hybrid publishing is pretty close second, um, but we need to be careful with the hybrid publishers we work with because there are some really, uh, really bad actors out there that will take this dream you have of being an author and turn it into a nightmare. Oof. That sounds awful. Well, I know that if I,
0: you know, put together my anthology, which you and I have talked about before the anthology of the stuff I've, I've written, um, when I finally do that, I am going to use a page beyond. So, well, thank you. Yes, I will. I will. Um, as I said, I've self-published before on, you know, uh, Kindle digital printing, but, um, I think, uh, I think I'm ready to up my game a little bit. So yeah, I'm excited. Eventually, eventually, maybe, maybe I'll make that a goal for the next year to actually get that anthology done and, and, uh, published. So
1: there we go. Maybe we can do a retreat in the fall.
0: <gasps> oh, get that! Book I would love that. I'm all about retreats, especially with people I adore. Um, and people who are so sharp. Yeah. I'll,
1: I'll see if I can find some of those then, Angela.
3: <laughs> I think you know a lot of them. I think, <laughs> really? I think you one. are one of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, sign me up. I'll be there. How can people reach you to work with you? Well, for lead at any level, it's pretty simple. You go to lead at any level.com. You can learn more about me, my business. You can set up time to just chat. And um, for the publishing business, a page com uh, is where you'll find everything about that business. The best place to follow me if you just want to get sick of me is on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there under Amy C. Wanninger. So pretty right. easy to find if you can spell it.
0: It's not so hard. It's not so hard if you, you know, kind of phonetically,
3: you know, you say it in your mind. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. And the Um, beauty part is the uh, podcast listeners will be able to look at the show notes and your name and your uh, websites will all be in there. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Any takeaway or or tips that you wanna share before we wrap up? So the one thing that I'll leave your listeners with is something that I share with all of my audiences when I talk about networking, when I talk about unconscious bias, when I talk about diversity in general. And that is we all believe our hearts to be in the right place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Hearts are not the problem in most <laughs> cases, in most cases. I mean, I know there are some jerks out there, but not your listeners, right? And so we all believe our hearts to be in the right place. But the fact of the matter is your heart can't be in the right place if you never move your feet. This work is about taking action. It's about taking steps. It's about standing up, putting yourself in places where you can learn and do different And so I encourage everyone to move their feet, get their hearts in the right place so that we can advance all together and create an economy that works for all of us.
2: Yay!
0: I like that. I like that a lot. And I fully
3: endorse that and agree 100%. I'll be interested to see how um, our solopreneur listeners put that into action. Yeah. Ooh, I would love it if they would message me and let me know.
0: Yeah. And if they let you know, you let us know. We'd love to know too. We'd love all sorts of feedback from solopreneurs. You know, what you're doing, what trends you're seeing, best practices, clients, issues, you know, all of that. We'd we'd love to hear that stuff. So um, yeah, reach out to us, reach out to Amy. And uh, so Amy, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We appreciate your visit more than you know. We're Thank
1: you so to have much, you. ladies. Yay. I love talking to my friends. I could do this all day. I know. I know.
0: It's it's a lot of fun talking to your friends every week and seeing what they're up to and catching up, et cetera. And we know some very, very, very cool women. So, you know, it's hard not to be impressed when we have them on. Absolutely. This yes. has been the Soul Power Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Jordan. And I'm your
3: host, Cheryl Burke. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.
0: You've been listening to the Soul Power Podcast with Angela Jordan and Cheryl Burke. Soul Power theme song composed by Gabriel Harley.